Before we come to the word today, share with us in prayer. Father, we come to you because the scripture has said that you have come to us through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we have celebrated his birth, we understand the power of his love caused him to to gener generously leave heaven and come and live among people like uh, just like us. As we think about what that means, we pray that you would help us to understand that what he did is what he did for us individually and then as a, as a people. I pray for that strength of love to grow in us. We have people around us in this congregation who have very special needs. Some are ill because of the diseases that have attacked their bodies. Some are grieving because of the loss of loved ones. We pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be together as a congregation in unity, that we might share comfort with one another, that we might share encouragement with one another, that we might live in such a way that the world would understand the light of Jesus Christ is in our hearts. We pray for the strength to come to us because of the blessings that we've seen in Jesus Christ, not only in his coming, but in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. We pray that that strength of love would grow in us in such a way that we might shine that light into the world around us that lives in such darkness. It's because of these things we pray our prayer in that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, who is our living Savior. Amen. So what do you do after Christmas? We, we have this period, it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of awkward between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, how do we respond to that good news that we read this morning at the beginning in uh, Luke chapter 2 that the angels gave to the, um, to the shepherds? And then the shepherds, uh, the, the story tells us that shepherds went through the whole area telling the good news about who Jesus is. So we have to understand uh, there, is a, there is a transition that's going on there. And what, that, what does that transition mean to us? Today I want to I talk to you a little bit about what it means that God gives us newness, a new year. Uh, a theme that we've had since Joshua has come to be our pastor has been that we're, we want to have a new day. And so that word new is a very critical theological term because in the scripture God is always making something new. He's doing something new. He is showing us something new. And I, I want us to think about that today. So does the scripture really talk to us about New Year's? Well, I think it does. And, uh, and uh, I picked a scripture there in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, beginning there, beginning in verses 1 and 2. And uh, Moses wrote these things about his experience. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you a beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, we know that the rest of that story, what happens in the immediate uh, aftermath of, of, of their hear, hearing this word from the Lord, is what we've come to call the Passover time. And we know that in that story that the Passover was the time in which God freed the, Egypt, freed the Israelites from the Egyptians and allowed them to, to claim that promise which he had given to Abram Back at beginning back in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and Abram and God continued to have that relationship and, and uh, God had promised the, the land uh, to the descendants of Abram and Abraham. And so we, 
we understand we understand that but but I want us to think about what was the nature of that Passover time. If you remember the story, you may have seen it on a movie or you've heard it in a storybook or something like that. Uh, God gave this special instruction to the people and it was so special that it was to be a mark that they would never forget because it would be their New Year's. And because it was their New Year's, there were, there were several important things that were a part of this. The first part of the of the celebration of the Passover for these people was the the uh, sacrifice of a lamb and there were special instructions about that lamb and it was to be the best lamb that they had it was to be a lamb that they would share uh, if they didn't have enough family members they would join families together and they would share this time together uh, and, and they would sacrifice this lamb and then a part of that sacrifice was to take the blood of that lamb and to wipe it over the doorpost and the lintel of the door, so that when the angel of death came through that through Egypt, he would pass over those homes that had the blood on the door. But there was more instruction that came along with that. There was they were to roast that lamb and they were to eat the lamb. But then there were other elements of that, and we represent those in some other ways. Um, one of those was that they were to eat unleavened bread. Not only were they to eat unleavened bread. They were to make a preparation for that uh, eating of that bread, uh, which is detailed in great detail. And it had a part of it was that they were to clean out all of the old leaven. If you've ever been around where bread is, bed is, bread is baked, then what you understand is that the yeast uh, is used and yeast has a very uh, special quality of it. Uh, one of the things that we did here recently, somebody brought to our senior dinner uh, something that was called friendship bread. If you know anything about friendship bread, you have to keep it alive. It has a starter and you have to keep putting things with it and keep using it. And uh, uh, it's, it's because of that leavening that's in that starter. And so God said, this new thing that we're going to be doing, let's start really clean. A big part of the new year for these people was that they were to clean out all the old things. We're going to talk some more about what that means to us. An, a, another thing that was a part of that meal was they were to have bitter herbs. And uh, those bitter herbs, they were to eat those with the meal because it would remind them of the slavery that they had been in. And we understand that today the scripture tells us, according to Romans chapter 6, that we were enslaved to sin but after being enslaved, enslaved to sin, we've been set free. But we're not to forget that sin is a part of the nature of who we are. And so God gave them that bitter herb as a way of reminding them. And they were to do this every year to remind them of themselves, them about those things. Now, God was desiring for a new direction for them. And God is desiring for something new for us and a new direction. And um, if we're going to if we're going to have this new direction, I, I'm really excited about Richard coming next week and the potential that that our congregation has with a leader like him, who's dedicated to the Word of God, who's who's uh, who has a desire and a gifting to uh, help us to move forward in, in our life. But but one of the principles that has been a part of what uh, Joshua has been leading us to is something that, that we've called life-to-life life or life-on-life discipleship. And 
it is it is the key to growing our church. Now, because we have a good church and we have a lot of good people and good leaders and good music programs and all those kinds of things, some people are attracted to our church, but, but that's not the principle that we're looking for. We're looking for those people who have no hope because they do not understand a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to lead them into that relationship and and we want to do that in a personal kind of way. And that's why it's called life-on-life life discipleship. One person who leads and teaches and helps and guides another person in doing that. You may say, uh-oh, that's not for me. Well, let's, let's be careful how we say those kinds of things. In, in the letter that we call First John, John writes... Uh, something that, that is a key component to us preparing ourselves to be life-on-life life disciples. And he says in verse 9 and 10, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, part of the Passover was the cleansing of the, of the, uh, uh, the old uh, yeast that was, that was a part of that. And so uh, the scripture says that, that God is willing to forgive us of our sins. But then John couldn't leave it there, so he goes on and gives us verse 10. And in verse 10 he says, If we say we have not sinned, how do you, are you willing to say, well, I'm not doing so bad, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I'm not doing, uh, I haven't murdered anybody or robbed a bank or anything like that, so I'm not, I'm doing, so, but if we say we have no sin, then listen to what John says about that. We make him, that is God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, the idea that uh, we would come to God and confess our sin is a very critical idea because it is that cleansing that is important. It is important to God. It is important to us as we seek to build the kingdom of God through our congregation. And if we are not those people uh, that, that have allowed God to do that work in our life so that we can with integrity go out into the community, into our families, into our neighbors, uh, into all of the workplaces and schools where we contact people, then we want to be able to, to go to them with integrity. Uh, John says that, that uh, we have to be careful that we don't just take this casually. Because if we take our life and our life relationships, the things that we choose, if we take them casually, then we have sin and we say, well, I'm not so bad. Then John says that we're calling God a liar. I take that pretty seriously. I hope you do too. That we would understand and know the power of God's work in our life in such a way that we do that. So I've always told people in that verse 9 where it says, if you would confess your sins, <clears throat> here's the trick. You have to name your sins. Can you name your sins? Do you, are you willing to evaluate your life in such a way as to, to, to say these are the sins of my life and, and I, I, want to, uh, I want to confess those sins before God? And certainly not easy business. I, somebody told me last week, said, don't put the pressure on us and make us examine our lives. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing it. But I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it because the kingdom of God requires those of us who are life-on-life -life disciples <clears throat> to examine ourselves and to do that. So how do you examine yourself? What do you use to examine yourself? Do you use uh, 
a, a person that you saw on the news who committed murder or do you use uh, somebody who was caught shoplifting or do you use those people as, uh, to, to evaluate whether your life has sin in it? I think if you do, then you'll think you're doing pretty good. But let me give you some scriptures that will help us to do that. There is a principle that Paul gives us in the letter to the Ephesians, and that principle is what we call the take-off, put-on principle. So in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 20, Paul writes this way, But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him at as the truth is in Jesus. So to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of truth. So the, 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 the principle that we have here in evaluating ourselves is, what are those elements of our living? What are those elements of our attitudes? What are those elements of our lifestyle choices that cause us to say, oh, that's really from the old way I used to do things. Uh, and, and, then, and then what we do, we put, we put on, he says, put on the new things. There's a very similar passage of this in Colossians chapter 3. I would encourage you to go compare these passages because because this is a key principle to becoming a disciple or becoming a life-on-life discipler. Because it, Paul says, put on a kind of likeness of Christ. Wow, that's pretty daunting, isn't it? To think that we have to make those adjustments in our life that would cause us to take on the character of Christ, take on the life that Christ has demonstrated to us. And you may say, well, you know, how do you do that? Well, Paul over in the book of Galatians, gives us that key idea. What is the key idea? So in Galatians 5.19, Paul gives us these things to think about. So in 19 he says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Is the, is the culture around us pulling us into behaviors and attitudes and thought patterns and vocabularies. I, I've been convicted uh, that, that so much uh, uh, of the vocabulary of the world has crept into our spiritual life. But so, so Paul says, be, be careful. These are, the, these are obvious things of the work of the flesh. He's going to give us a long list. And be careful about where you put yourself in here. I think at one point or another, we're all in here somewhere. Or we have been, and maybe we have these things that are hanging on to us. So so in our culture, these things are obvious. He says, in your life, some of them may be obvious. So the, he, here's the list. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then my favorite part of this, and anything similar. So you may not have found yourself in that list, but there are things that are similar to this. You may have a different vocabulary, but that's what the Scripture says. Paul says these things can be identified in your life. They are obvious. Now, what do we do 
taking that principle from Ephesians 4, what do we do? Then the second part in, the, in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, I mean Galatians 5, Paul gives us the list that we are very familiar with. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. And there are nine of these. They're the list of those things which are the acts of the flesh are, 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 it's a much longer list and it includes caveats to be other things that he didn't even put on the list. But what, what, what we understand is this is the contrast to those things. Those things are the old life. These things are the new life. What are they? You're familiar with them, I think. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Certainly love is more than just a fruit. It is the, it is the, the, the center concept of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. In um, uh, John 13, toward the end of that chapter, Jesus says, uh, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. How are people going to know that we are disciples? How are we going to make ourselves available to God to disciple other people? He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples in that you have love for one another. So the first fruit or the first principle of this relationship that we have with God is the principle of love. And we know that that love was demonstrated to us so very clearly by Jesus Christ uh, in uh, uh Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus didn't think it was anything to grasp a hold of his, his royal priesthood, priestly life in heaven, a kingly life in heaven, uh, but he set that aside. He set that aside and he, hum, he humbled himself, humbled himself so that we might understand what we have to do. And it says he humbled himself even to death, even to death on the cross. So we understand that that th these principles are there. And so love is the first one, and, and maybe it, all of the other ones uh, rise out of the, of the fact that we've given ourselves in, in love to each other and to love to God. So the first one is love, and then joy and peace. We just celebrated uh, the joyous coming of the Christ child. Uh, that was what the angels told the shepherds, that this was good news of, that would bring great joy, and not just to the Jews, but it would bring great joy to all peoples. And so the gospel is for all peoples, and we understand that that joy comes in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this week, the world is going to tell you how to get happy. Some kind of party, some kind of celebration, some kind of... of uh, uh, things to do uh, that would uh, say, well, th this is going to make you happy for New Year's. And uh, those things which the world tells you will make you happy for New Year's will make you unhappy after New Year's, according to Scripture. So love and joy and then peace. I'm privileged to be a part of a team that answers the phones in our church for the Billy Graham ministry. And last night we uh, answered the phones uh, after a, 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 a program that was on television. And uh, we do this about every, uh, about four times every month, uh, typically, sometimes more than that, but typically four times. And the first thing that we say to people when they call is, have you called to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the key question. That the peace that comes to us comes because we have initiated that relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Uh, last night we had two people who actually spoke with people in our room that were answering the phones and they, they did profess faith in Jesus Christ. And we always celebrate when people uh, who, who we, they're all over the whole United States, sometimes even outside the United States that we answer calls for. And, and they come and, and they say, we want to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's the peace that comes. Peace that passes understanding, the scripture says. But the majority of people who call don't have peace. They call because they want somebody to pray with them. They want somebody to pray for them because they don't have peace. Last night I talked to two ladies in two different parts of the United States and both of them said that there was no peace in their family, that it was conflict, and that the, the, the holiday season had just caused that to really bubble up and come to the surface in their families. And, and they asked us to pray with them that God would do something that would bring, and we can understand what they're asking for. That is the peace of God in their, in their heart and in their life and in their relationships. So love, joy, and peace, and then patience. Sure, surely we all have, none, of, none of us have any issue with patience, right? Certainly not. But that is a, that is a fruit of the Spirit. And, and then kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness in our culture are, are something that is uh, given has been given away, and, and uh, we we understand the the crass nature of much of our culture, the uh, unkind uh, uh, taking advantage of things and our uh, and, and people in our culture. Uh, not too many months ago, we had a speaker that came and spoke to our senior adults about the idea that there are scammers out there who are trying to take advantage of people. They, they, they have, a, they have, a, they have a, an unkind spirit. They have no good spirit in them. And the scripture says that the spirit of God in the believer produces goodness and kindness. But then it produces also faithfulness and gentleness. Faithfulness and gentleness are produced in the life of the believer um, in, a, in a world where unfaithfulness is a common thing, the Spirit of God produces in us faithfulness and gentleness. And ultimately, the, the ninth on the list of those things which God produces in our life is self-control. Now, if we're going to understand the principle of being a life-on-life discipler, which ones of things in our relationship with people that we meet in our families, in our close relationships, and even with people who are strangers to us. What is it, what is it that's going to be uh, available in us to cause them to understand the love of Jesus Christ? These characteristics of the flesh, are they attractive to people who are without Christ? We live in a culture today in which the common person in our world lives as somebody who is what's called a nun. They have no faith belief. I was thinking about this. Those people who say, well, we have no religious understanding, we have no faith, we have no desire to have any religious understanding. You know what they are? They're a blank slate. They're a blank page. And they're waiting for somebody to write on to them the truths of God's word by living the truths of God's word by coming to them and sharing with them kindness and goodness and by demonstrating patience 
And by showing them a kind of love which is not common in this world, they're waiting for someone to come and, and demonstrate for them this love of Christ that we talk about here in the Scriptures. The um, common phrase that some of these people use about people in the church is that the church is full of hypocrites. Now, we have to be careful there, don't we? Life-on-life disciples have to be careful that they have made choices in their life, choices in their attitudes, choices in their vocabularies, choices in their lifestyle in which we would be able to stay, say with integrity, come with me, come with me as I follow Christ. Now that verse comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. It's, between, it's kind of a transition verse between two chapters when Paul is dealing with some very difficult cultural issues in the time that the Corinthians were living. One of those cultural issues was offering meat to idols, uh, offering eating meat that was offered to idols. And Paul comes at the end of chapter 10 and he says, you know, uh, meat is meat. I understand that, but I wouldn't do anything that would harm a, a weaker brother's faith relationship. There are things in our culture that we can say, well, it doesn't make any difference. I know what is what. And, you know, those, those things don't make any difference. But, but Paul would say, I have made a choice. And those of us who have a desire to be life-on-life disciplers, uh, that, w- that we would ask God to give us that encouragement, those people have to make that kind of a choice to say, I'm not going to choose to do some things that I can do, and I think they're okay and they're not a problem, but I choose not to do those so that I might not influence the weaker brother. The other, the, then he goes on in, in, in chapter 11, he deals with some more difficult issues. One of them has to do with... Uh, uh, women and their way they dress in the church and the modesty, which is a part of a, of the Christian culture. And that the other one has to do with the abuse of the Lord's Supper. And so between those uh, difficult circumstances that have to do with culture, Paul says, I've made a choice to follow Christ. And because I've made the choice to follow Christ, I want you to also make that choice. Now, if we're going to say to... Uh, uh, Joshua, we're going to say to Richard Mounts, uh, we want to follow you in helping Ashley River Baptist Church have a new day. We want to follow you in helping Ashley River Baptist Church make some inroads into our community and into our culture. And we want to do those things so that we might glorify Jesus Christ because we understand that He loved us so much that He submitted to cruel men and that they caused him to die on Calvary's cross and his blood was poured out and he was placed in a tomb. But we also understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That love that Jesus Christ has for us is not just that he would sacrifice his life for us, but it was, would, would also be that he would show us the power that he has to overcome the circumstance of this world. Even the most great circumstance, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says he's overcome death by his resurrection. If we understand that, if we understand that that is available to us and to those who are around us, then why would we not come to that place where we would say, I will make those adjustments in my life. I will set aside things that I think are no problem because other people might think they are a problem. 
I will set aside some things and attitudes in my heart, and I will ask God to heal me from those kinds of attitudes which are harmful in relationships with other people, maybe even in my family. I'll do those things because I understand the greater truth, and that greater truth is the love of Jesus Christ. I want people to look at us and our church and say, the light of love shines out from us. The light of love shines out from me. I want to confess my sins before God. I want Him to help me to understand what is sin and what is not sin. He's given us all kinds of instructions about those things. I want to, I want to understand those things in such a way that allows me then to do something different. To be someone different so that I might go to a brother or a sister, that I might go to a neighbor, to a friend, and I might live before them in such a way that the light of that love that Jesus Christ has given me shines out from them. Now, we don't want to presume that everybody in this room knows exactly what that love means. And so if you do not understand the love of Jesus Christ in a personal kind of way, today is a day in which you can stop and you can say, God, I don't really get all of these things that I need to understand, but I want to. I want to see the change that you've promised to bring into the life of a person. I want to, to be able to share the love of Christ with those who are lost in this world and who are dying without any hope. I want you to be able to show me those people who are a blank page. And I want you to help me to know how to write the love of Christ on that blank page of their heart. If you would like to be that kind of person and you've never made that commitment, you can make that commitment today. You don't have to know everything. None of us know everything. But we do understand one thing, and that is Jesus loves me. We teach it, they're, they're teaching the children over in the other room. Jesus loves me. Art Rooney plays this on his harmonica when we go on our choir tours with the senior choir. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a very simple truth, but it is the truth which is the transformative truth. It is what takes us from being that old person, that old life that Paul talks about there in Galatians 4, and helps us to know and to be able to begin to put on that new person, that new idea, that new life, so that we might be that influence in this world which will help people to know that the love of Christ, as the angels say, the good news is for all people. All people. And we want to be those instruments that God uses. We want to be those um, members of his body who function according to that. I'm so thankful for Andrew today. He, he, he's give, he, shall, he helped us know, understand that God does put gifts into people's lives. And Andrew has that gift of music. Larry demonstrated that. Marie demonstrates it to us every week. We have Sunday school teachers who week by week teach the Word of God. We have a pastor who preaches the Word of God every week. We have all of these different influences. We have small group leaders. We have deacons who minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of those things added together are a demonstration that God is at work. Now how can we personalize that? Personalizing that is what we've come to call life on life discipleship. And I hope that you will understand and know the power of God's love in your heart in such a way that today you'll say, well, the world says New Year's is the time to be whatever we want to be, 
to do wherever we want to do and go wherever we want to go and to do those things in such a way that makes us pleased. I want to go to a party or I want to have an event or I want to do those things which pleases me. Today we need to understand that what God has called us to is to not do those things which we do because it pleases us, but that we do those things which we do because it pleases Him. And we want to make that transition in an in a ongoing kind of way. In, in the Thessalonian letter, uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul congratulates the Thessalonian Christians. He says, you are doing really good. And, and we want to say to Ashley River Baptist Church family, we are doing well. We're doing good. But then Paul goes on to say, do better. And that's our challenge. Not just to do good. Not just to be committed to certain aspects of Christian faith, but to do better. We want to continue to do what is the good things that we're doing. But this idea of personalizing life-on-life discipleship is something that is a critical thing that will help our congregation come forward in reaching people who have no hope, those people who are a blank slate, that we might write the love of Christ on their hearts and that they might understand that in such a way that they would commit themselves also to Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's a big thing. It's a really big thing. The world takes every good thing and tries to twist it around and make it something else. They've done that with New Year's. God said to the children of Israel in Egypt, this day is to be a new day. It is to be a new year because I am doing a new thing. Never before had the death angel crossed over and and killed all the firstborn. Never before had God opened the ocean and allowed the people to walk across on dry land. Never before had God done those things which demonstrated the power of His love by feeding them the manna and the quail. Never before had God taken water from the rock. All of those things were new to Israel. Just imagine the new things that God has for us at Ashley River Baptist Church. If we will be obedient, if we will be obedient to the principles and to the truths of God's Word. It's a, it's a pretty big deal to me. I hope it's a big deal to you. And I hope that we'll understand the principle of these powerful things in our lives in such a way that when God sees the work that we're doing, He will say, well done. He will say, well done. Would you join me as we pray? God, your word in so many ways is so clear. It tells us if we respond to you, that you will respond back to us. That if we will receive your love, that you will give us an overflowing love. As David wrote in Psalm 23, our cup can overflow. We know that this overflowing love is not just so that we might say we are satisfied, but that overflowing love is so that that love of you get, that you have given to us would spill out around to those who are all around us. We want to understand what it means to speak in love, in truth, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the casual person that we might meet, that we might have an opportunity to understand what it means to say the good news of Jesus Christ's love is for you. We want to be those people who share that love. 
We want to do it in a kind of way which glorifies Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, even today, interceding for us. As we pray today, He is interceding for us that we might have that thing which God gives to us. Peace and joy, love and self-control. God, God, we ask for that, that we might glorify Him who loves us best, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. If you would like to respond today, we'll, I'll be here at the front. Others can be here to pray with you, help you to uh, gain this perspective. Um, that w we might have this perspective in such a way uh, that it, it does have that influence, that influence that God gives to us, that God desires for us to have in accordance with His perfect will and word. Join us as we sing now, Away in a Manger, and as we stand, please sing.